to this is Bono, and this man calls himself the air drum. Let's break away because it's music. 40 years ago. First of all, that's you two talking with the late Tom Schneider, whom I thought was one of the best interviewers. Think about that. He interviewed Patti Smith. He 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 conducted the last television interview with John Lennon. <sighs> that's pretty powerful. So, 40 years ago last year, you two became well. They've been a, they had been a band since 1976. They were known as the Feedback, and then they were known as the Hype. And then in 1980, in October of 1980, they put out their debut album, Boy. It set the world on fire. Followed by October, today, 40 years ago, October 12, 1981. It had the song Gloria. Was this the Patti Smith version? Let's see. No. It was their own. It was their own. It had Gloria, I Will Fall Down, I Threw a Brick Through a Window, Rejoice, Fire, Tomorrow, October, With a Shout, Jerusalem, Stranger in a Strange Land, Scarlet, Is That All? They really, gotta remember, this was way before... The Joshua Tree. The Joshua Tree is the moment, you know, with great bands. And I know we. I'm. I'm going to do a film podcast. Don't worry. But it's all about music. These. These albums. You know, like Ministry and U2. The 80s was a very hotbed time. And these bands were really. They were voicing what the people wanted to hear. Okay, so from Boy. In 1980, October 1981, War 1983, and The Unforgettable Fire 1984. So The Unforgettable Fire is the moment <coughs> that you two started working with Daniel Lenoir and Brian Eno. Brian Eno, who had worked with Bowie, who had worked with... Uh, he was part of another band. I mean, Brian Eno has worked with everybody. He's worked with Coldplay. He's worked with um, trying to think some other people he's worked with. Brian, but br- when you put Brian Eno and Daniel Lenoir, okay, Daniel Lenoir has worked with Bob Dylan, Neil Young, and then to work with this this band, this Irish band, okay, think about that. People have often, even you two, has considered themselves the Irish Beatles, okay. Because Bono even said in his mind the Beatles are Irish. And, you know, John Lennon's lineage was Irish, as was Paul McCartney's. So, from the unforgettable fire to the Joshua. The Joshua Tree is the pinnacle. Okay, you've got four albums under your belt. The fifth time is, I mean, the fifth time is when everyone knew their name. Think about, though, the fact that everyone knew them from those earlier albums, including October. They really proved their salts. You two worked. 
work. This is not overnight success. It took a long time. It took about seven years, basically. Seven years. And from the Joshua Tree, you have Rattle and Hum. You have Actum Baby, which is probably one of my favorites. Zoo Opera, Pop. All That You Can't Leave Behind was a return to form. How to dismantle an atomic bomb, proving they still had it. No Line on the Horizon. Songs of Innocence and Songs of Experience. They have been a band longer than most bands. They are right up there with the Rolling Stones. Think about that. Charlie Watts just died, okay, a month ago. And he was with the Rolling Stones since 1962, okay? The only drummer U2 has ever had is Larry Mullen Jr. The only bassist U2 has ever had is Adam Clayton. And then The Edge, guitarist, and then Bono. So think about that. Think, think, think about that and how far they've come. It, uh, people do often ask, is there an end in sight to you two? No. People have asked that of the Rolling Stones. Is this the last tour? Now that Charlie's gone, and I hate to say this, and I've talked about this before, I think this is the end. I hope they prove me wrong. Because Mick and them, and mainly Keith, you know, I think... With the lead singer, people think that Mick is in control. But even guys in the band have said that Keith really is the leader of the Rolling Stones. And I believe it. You don't fuck with Keith Richards. You just don't. Okay? And you look at the and you look at U2 and how they pulled things from the Beatles and they pulled things from the Stones, but then they also pulled things from the Clash. Bono has always said that the Clash mattered. That was the difference between them and other bands was is that the U2 had this punk element and then they also joked that they were as they were not equipped to be even a, a wedding band because they couldn't even play covers. So they had to write their own songs. And so think about that. In 1981, they put out the second album. Okay. U- U2's trajectory musically is very interesting. I mean, think about it. the 1980s. It was Reagan. It was all this kinds of crazy ass shit. It was a class system. And then in England, you've got Margaret Thatcher, who was giving them shock treatment. And the sad thing is people thought, oh, okay, a woman's in charge. And, and not to dive into the sexism of that. She was a really bad leader. And if you talk to people in Great Britain, they were they hated her. Because of what she did. She was not part of the people. She was part of the upper crust. She was very, very evil. So I think that's probably why they gave Meryl Streep an Oscar for playing Margaret Thatcher. Is because you got someone so nice like Meryl Streep playing the iron the iron lady, the iron maiden. I mean, my friend and I would joke about Margaret Thatcher. And, you know, Margaret, um, you know, if you like kind of we'll, we'll get back to you, too, because, you know, they do they talk about politics in their songs all around the world. But even Lady Thatcher, they I don't think they liked her either, where she had this saying where she's like, you turn if you want to. The lady is not for turning because she had that voice. 
So you two did songs about, think about it. The Joshua Tree is all about politics. And it's also about America. Because the Bono has often said that America created Jesus. That idea of Jesus. It's not like that all around the world. And how America holds on to their guns and their religion. And that's what the Joshua Tree is about. From my from my understanding. I'm sure Bono has a different meaning behind it. I mean the term the Joshua Tree, Joshua Tree Park. But then you got songs like Bullet the Blue Sky, which is about Bono has talked about he spent time in South America during the um, General Pinochet regime where these mothers of the disappeared. That's a song in the album. With or Without You, Running to Stand Still, Red Hill Mining Town, which is obviously about what was going on in Great Britain and in Ireland in the 80s. So you two couldn't help but be political. It was it was all around them. I mean, think about it. They came from Dublin, Ireland. You've got Protestants and Catholics who have been fighting since the beginning. And they're in the thick of it. So... They could, you know, they were born into the politics. See, the, it's it's right there. They took their name U two, the U two spy plane, because you know they were originally known as the feedback and as the hype. So October was produced by Steve Lillywhite. Steve Lillywhite has been working with U two since the beginning. He also went on to work with Dave Matthews Band. Steve Steve Lillywhite really. In, in terms of a producer and a mixer, I mean, here's his roster. The Talking Heads, The Porgs, A Blue October, The Rolling Stones, Peter Gabriel, Morrissey, The Killers, Dave Matthews Band, Fish, Counting Crows. Yeah. I mean, think, think about... Okay, I didn't know that. He was a producer on Hong Kong Garden, the debut single by Susie and the Banshees. I love Susie and the Banshees. But think about those early days with U2. You know, Steve Lillywhite would work with U2 off and on. And I was he a part of the Joshua Tree? You know, the Joshua Tree... I mean, not to take anything away from October. The Joshua Tree really is the moment that U2 was on everyone's lips. Okay? It was produced by Daniel Lenoir and Brian Eno. Daniel Lenoir is from Canada. Really great producer. I've talked about him earlier in the podcast. Um, okay. But if we go over here... Okay, I remember seeing... At classic albums and Steve Lillywhite talked about when they did Bullet the Blue Sky and how they had to like modify the song because you know the Edge had that really great guitar solo that is just it's got shamrocks all over it when I when I hear it that's what I see um, I mean his riffs are you know I think you could even say it's similar to that riff from um don't kill me for saying this from uh, The Unforgiven by Metallica. Okay, so if we go over to Bullet the Blue Sky. Okay. Ah, 
Bullet the Blue Sky. Okay, they had talked about it. Uh, made a Bono went to Nicaragua and El Salvador. Okay, that's interesting. I think you two as a whole. I mean, they're continuous. I don't. I don't think there there is an end in sight. I think when they all die, that's the end. I think when it comes to art, that we're always looking for an end. You look at pop. Picasso lived into his 90s. It was madness that really, I wouldn't say made him lose his facade. I I remember one of the doors talking about that, is how Picasso lived into his 90s and Jim Morrison lived to be 27. Not to compare the two. And And I've told people this before. That film and music are the dominant forces of the 20th century. I remember a professor of mine once said, we were talking about classical music, and she said how the baby boomers took their rock and roll and never let go. And that's true. And But they're, they're, in terms of classical musicians, they merged with the jazz musicians, okay? So... But then you have bands like ELO who took the classical vibe and kind of mixed it into their performance. But yeah, the 20th century is all... I mean, I mentioned this yesterday, how Ministry, very controversial band, that's probably why I like them, is when they did The Land of Rape and Honey, that song, there is imagery of concentration camps and people follow following blindly. And that goes all the way back to the Velvet Underground, Andy Warhol's band, and the the projection images when they were playing at the St. Mark's Place in New York. I think it was St. Mark's Place uh, Square or something. I could be wrong. And and then Pink Floyd later did that, where they would have these projections on the screen, and they're playing this psychedelic music. And so film and music really are this beautiful marriage. I mean, you think of the early silent films. It's just music. And then it's the the dialogue at the bottom or in the middle of the screen. This is, of course, before the talkies. And so I've told people before, you know, the, the 19th century was all about art. It was all about Van Gogh and Goya and Rousseau and Toulouse Lautrec and how the 20th century the 20th century really basically is when things start to get really heavy politics and music and art and experimentation experimentation so the 20th century and then the 21st century is a digital book basically people don't like to admit that because they're scared of this digital book and and they have right to be scared and then you look at back to you too. They're this band. I remember in 2014, they put out that album for free through iTunes. Okay. I thought, oh, great. I, I love them. A free album. Okay. And then people complained about it. And, you know, there's that old saying, beggars can't be choosers. And it's like, okay, this really great band is giving you a free album. And you're pissed about it? Oh, they violated my privacy. Really? 
Well, you know, Apple knows everything about you. They know when I record this podcast what kind of <laughs> things to send me for advertisement. Okay. It's just part of the beast. It's the number of the beast, basically. And I've had people tell me, oh, like last year, you know how you could see Venus and Jupiter all together? And someone said, oh, that's end of days. And I just kind of rolled my eyes like, okay, all right. Because I've said this before, I'm not knocking religion, but I was not raised religious. So I don't really believe in that. The end of days. Okay, when? I think things are continuous. You know, it's like a circle. Things come in, you know, what goes around comes around. Hello. So... And I mean, you look at our body parts, circles, iris, the eyes, even the anus, circular, circular. The earth itself is circular. All right. So there is no end in sight because it is continuous. It's a continuous trajectory. You're on the merry-go-round. The merry-go-round never stops. You may get off when you want to, but it doesn't stop. And so back to you two as a band, it's a it's a merry-go-round. It is continuous. I don't think they'll ever stop. I think they will continue. I I it kind of gives me hope that as a band they still continue to function. And you know, a band a band is like a marriage. Now I've never been married, <laughs> but think about those four guys together in the band, okay? Think about the different personalities. When Bono, and I remember he did a 60 Minutes interview, and they asked him, or they asked the band, what, how do you feel when he goes out and does, you know, these, these, where he's fighting for, you know, AIDS relief, and then he's meeting with George W. Bush. <laughs> that was controversial. Because, you know, musicians and republicans don't really go together unless unless you're uh well what's his name ted nugent black you know cat scratch fever uh and and i'm not knocking republicans because i i am related to a few but you wouldn't think oh because musicians are always rebelling against the two sides musicians are like screw democrats screw republicans so to have someone like Bono work with George W. Bush on on you know getting AIDS under control, HIV and all of that and and you know working with these politicians. And he's and he's an Irishman. You know what's interesting is we in this country everyone wants to get rich and live on the hill. And I remember Bono said something in Ireland it's it's similar to that, but it's a little different because in Ireland, because of the class systems, you know how in this country, it's like, how did Bono say it? He says, well, in this country, everyone wants to live on the hill. But in Ireland, people are like, one day I'm going to get that son of a bitch that lives on the hill. Yeah, it's about the class system. Okay. And it's not, I mean, you could kind of say that here, but people, you know, everyone wants to be famous for 15 minutes, as Andy Warhol predicted. And personally, 
if I if I may add my two cents to this podcast, the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast, I was always taught don't flaunt your your money. Be careful. Don't flaunt your take home. You know, I, I think it was one of my grandmothers who told me that. Don't let people know what you have. Don't be careful because you could send the wrong message to people, especially during COVID. I remember I bought something and I thought I don't want to draw attention to myself because I know there are people out there who don't have it or don't have a lot. And I'm aware of that. And so, you know, just don't flaunt things. Don't do it. And going back to you, too, they don't flaunt that they're these rich rock stars. What they do is they put their money and it's like, okay, let's help this organization. All right. Because when you're a musician, that money really goes into the tour. Think of that stage. That stage setup costs a lot of money. It is not cheap. Now, if you're just going to get on a soapbox and sing, okay, great. Make it punk rock. Make it roots, you know, garage band kind of. But the elaborate setup. I remember I went to uh, Aftershock on Sunday. That's millions of dollars. So in order to make it in this world, you have to be a rich rock star. But do they flaunt it? No. Bono doesn't write songs about, oh, I'm rolling up in my my bends. No. That's, that's hip-hop. Hip-hop, it's always about... I think it goes back to the gangster films. You know, like Scarface, I've made it. Say hello to my little friend. Or, I knew it was you, Fredo. You broke my heart. <coughs> you know, that, that form of organized crime. And truly making it. Yeah. Um... I see all these different tirades. See, I included film in there. See, you thought I wasn't going to get into film. But it's been an interesting trajectory. And I don't think they'll ever make a a film about you two. I think we know enough about them. This is... Here's the thing. I love technology. But it is an information overload. There are certain things that I don't want to know about people. There are certain celebrities I don't want to know everything. Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, I don't want to know. So when they do the interview and they sob, okay, all right, all right. Same with musicians. I don't want to know what the song is about. I really don't because it may mean it may mean something totally different to me. And I, Kurt Cobain said that. You know, people would always ask Kurt Cobain. What is the song Smells Like Teen Spirit about? And he says, I'm not going to tell you. It, And I love how he said it. He said, it's your soap opera. Because he was giving it to that generation. He was saying, look, we've made this album called Nevermind. Where you can, you know, like the song Lithium. Okay. It's called Lithium. Lyrically, it can belong to you. But... He may, you know, Dave Grohl even said the songs themselves, they wanted to write them like children's songs where, you know, the the verses are so easy. You know, I'm so happy because today, come on, (coughs) or with the lights out, it's less dangerous. You know, you two said something interesting about Nirvana because think about that. 
So 30 years ago, Nirvana, Soundgarden, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Pearl Jam. It's a new form of rock. It's alternative. It's Seattle. And U2 puts out Actung Baby that they made in Berlin. I think what they were doing is they wanted to, you know how Iggy Pop and David Bowie had gone to Berlin and made these albums. There was a certain sound that you could only get in Berlin. The Berlin Wall had just come down. And you two said to Brian Eno and, and Daniel Lenoir, we want to go to Germany to record Actum Baby. Because Actum Baby really means in German, attention baby. And how it became this kind of global gyrating. Totally different from what Nirvana. You know, Nirvana, I think, tour-wise, the, the zoo tour, the zoo, Zor, zoo TV tour, from 1991 to 1993 that U2 embarked on was a mass media production. It truly was. Television, you know, uh, imagery and everything that you could want. And Bono tapped into that. That These Irish rock stars really... I want to give a shout out to Marty from uh, the LNC... Um, We've talked about YouTube before, and she got to go on the Zoo TV tour. That's a massive tour. But in 1991-1992, Actung Baby wasn't really being talked about. What was being talked about, I mean, it was among YouTube's core fans. What was really being talked about, though, was, never mind, Nirvana. Because it was a new, it was a, it was the new guard of rock. Think about it. U2 started out in the 80s. Nirvana put out their first album in 1989, Bleach. And then 1991, 30 years ago. Never mind. Never mind change. I I love what Springsteen said about it. They did a clip of Springsteen and they said, it changed the way you could sound. It changed the way you could market yourself. And then Green Day even said that. Green Day said... Before Nirvana, you couldn't be a punk band and be on MTV. It just, it didn't happen. Maybe if you were the the Ramones, and the Ramones were very legendary. And and I'm going back to you two in this because, you know, even even Nirvana was probably influenced by you two. But I know that they didn't want to tour with them. I I don't know what that's about. I would have to do some more information about it, more digging. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I mean, think about it. You're this young band from Seattle. Well, Aberdeen, Washington. Because Kurt Cobain and Chris Novoselic were from Aberdeen. They were not from Seattle. But they got their start in Seattle. Because that's where all the bands would flock to. Or Olympia. And it was Dave Grohl. I think that he was their third drummer. Because Chad Channing. And then the other guy from the Melvins. Played drums on Nirvana's albums. And Dave Grohl was. Yeah. The next drummer. So. There there was this. Uh, it, and it goes all the way back to the Pixies. Who I'm, I'm sure liked U2. Not to say that U2 wasn't cool. 
But I have heard that before that you Nirvana just didn't want to tour with them. I don't know if it's maybe management or maybe I could be wrong. If if I if I could interview Dave Grohl, I would ask him that. I would say I don't know. But, you know, looking in, it's different. It's different. But think about it. If, Like I said before, if you're this young up-and-coming band, do you want to tour with you two? I don't think so. So, And it's nothing against them. But they really, in terms of alternative rock, you know, U2 was part of college radio. Along with R.E.M. and Black Flag. And there's a punk element to U2. That I'm sure Nirvana liked. Because Nirvana Nirvana had the pop melodies, but it was punk ethos. And Chris Novoselic of Nirvana said, we repelled the mainstream. And then he said, you got to understand, is that Nirvana never came to the mainstream. The mainstream came to Nirvana. Isn't that, isn't that wild to think, say that? And that was their big crisis. Is that here MTV is like Nirvana, Nirvana smells like teen. It, with you know, when I tell people of my generation with the lights out, it's less dangerous. They know what I'm talking about. This generation is still kind of. What do you mean? That is dangerous to turn turn the lights out. And it's like no, it's a lyric with the lights out. It's less dangerous. Here we are now. Entertain us. And that's you could all that's along the lines of double entendre. It could be sexual or it could be if you go into a concert hall and people turn out the lights, you're going to have a stampede. You're going to have chaos. And you two in their time were their own form of chaos because they were revered in punk rock. They were revered with the clash and uh, the who. That, that's their their generation. So, 40 years of October, and here it is October. I, I don't know, did they purposely name the album October and say, let's release it in October? I can't do an Irish accent. I really can't. But also around this time in 2000, you 2 put All That You Can't Leave Behind, which we, a year later, strangely, would become a soundtrack for what happened on 9-11. Those songs, that album, All That You Can't Leave Behind, that is a watershed moment. I mean, think think of some of the songs on there. Walk On, Beautiful Day, All That You Can't Leave Behind, New York, which is a song on there, Elevation, Um, Peace on Earth. It was almost, it's strange. It's strange that they were a year away from it. They put out this album. And, and it was a return to form for them. Because, you know, they had done Zoo Opera, which is electronica, dance. And then they put out the pop album, which is kind of good. But people felt that they had lost their way. And so they regrouped and they said, you know what? We're going to go back to basics. And so they did. They they went back to basics. That's what they had intended to do. 
So nothing against you two. I I am such a fan of theirs, and their albums stand the test of time. And it was forty years ago today that they put out October, their second album. Okay, what a what a what a wild ride to. I mean, you've got <laughs> both your albums are forty years old. Your first two albums. So yeah, and and I mean, thirty-four years ago they put out the Joshua Tree. Isn't that wild? And thirty years ago they put out Actum Baby this November. So yeah, big salute to you too. Actum Baby this November. I mean. It's probably one of my favorites. It's probably one of my favorites. I mean, you think of the songs, and I and I am eventually going to do something about Actum Baby, because I remember I had gotten into U two, and then I heard the Joshua Tree, but then I heard Actum Baby, and I couldn't stop. I think I wore the CD out. Yeah. Released uh, November 18th, 1991. This 30th anniversary. My God. From October 1990 to September 1991. <sighs> it was alternative rock. It was industrial music. It was electronic dance music. Actum Baby kind of plugged U2 in. And then the Zoo TV tour really solidified everything. But I just want to read you. I mean, think of the the song list of this album. This is a wild ride, and, and they're in a car, in the album uh, artwork. Zoo Station producer Daniel Lamois, even better than the real thing. Producers Steve Lillywhite with Brian Eno and Daniel Lanois. One, which is such a legendary song. In fact, Bono created the One campaign. Daniel Lenoir with Brian Eno, Until the End of the World, which is one of my favorites. Daniel Lenoir with Brian Eno, Who's Gonna Ride Your Wild Horses? Steve Lillywhite, Daniel Lenoir, and Brian Eno. So Cruel, Daniel Lenoir, The Fly, Daniel Lenoir, Mysterious Ways, which is, oh God, that's, that's such a burning song, such a great riff. Daniel Lenoir with Brian Eno, Trying to Throw Your Arms Around the World, Daniel Lenoir with Brian Eno. Ultraviolet, Light My Way, that's such a good song. Daniel Lenoir with Brian Eno. Acrobat, Daniel Lenoir. Love is Blindness, Daniel Lenoir. Love is Blindness was covered in the late 90s by a really great jazz performer, Cassandra Wilson. And she included it on uh, her album, New Moon Daughter. It's been covered by other people. Uh, Jack White did a cover of it. Yeah. So that's you too. We're going to talk more about you too this year on Pleasant Dreams. <laughs> 